0: Welcome to School Nutrition Dietitian. I'm your host, Dahlia Kinsey. I work with programs all over the country as a registered dietitian and school nutrition specialist to save operations time and money on everything from employee training, social media marketing, and wellness programs. Every week, I bring you tips, tricks, and inspiration from fellow professionals in school nutrition and related fields. Today, I have Melody Butler on the show. This is a special Parent Perspective episode. Melody is passionate about child literacy, and so I thought this would be the perfect time to have her on to explain what she does. And as a parent of a child with allergies, her perspective on positive reinforcement for children without using food as a reward system. We're coming up on Read Across America Day or Dr. Seuss Day. A lot of managers do classroom visits and participate when they're district wide, literacy focused celebrations like this. If you found a way to make this day special for your kids, please let me know so that I can share it with everyone. All right, let's get started. Dietitian here on a mission To show you fruits and vegetables can be super delicious Eating healthy keeps you healthy on the inside Keep your stomach satisfied and keep a clear mind Now you're ready for your academics Focus, time to handle business Breakfast, you don't want to miss it Help your body to replenish Clean food, clear mind That is the vision Tune in to the School Nutrition Dietitian Thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're busy. It sounds like you've got kids in the house right now, so we're Mm -hmm. gonna just jump right into your background and how you came to work with your current company.
1: Sure. Um, So my background, as far as Osborne Books and More is concerned, I'm a mom, a homeschooling mom now of three. I had two children when I first joined, and my oldest is on the autism spectrum, and we were looking at homeschooling, and, and these books came across my path. A friend had invited me to a party, and I realized that they have a lot of great options for homeschoolers. They have a lot of Mama. good options for Mama. these, these. <laughs> leisure reading. So I hosted a party for a friend and then I, I signed on myself because kids were going crazy over the books. And uh, as much as we're a book loving household, I hadn't quite seen a reaction that dramatic from them before in response mm-hmm. to any other books. So so I'm an independent consultant, which means I, I primarily work with individuals doing book book parties, and things like that. But I'm also an educational services representative, which is this great program we have that enabled me to go through some extra training and a background check. So I'd be able to work with schools and libraries. And I can help schools and libraries raise funds for different efforts. And I can also help with literacy initiatives and book fairs and things like that as well. And so I'm very passionate about that. Did you do
0: any other entrepreneurial projects before you started working with Usborne or you were just really drawn to the literacy promotion or what made you want to put yourself out there and start your own thing?
1: So I had done some other entrepreneurial type things before. And in fact, one of the reasons that I decided to sign on with Usborne was we're a food allergy family in addition to being a special needs family. And so I had begun to pursue an interest in health coaching. And so I thought this business would help me raise the funds that I needed for my coaching classes, which it has. And now I'm doing both because I just loved, I love the books and the opportunity so much. I've been with Usborn Books and More for three years now, as of April 25th. And I promoted to team leader last Spring shortly after becoming an educational services representative. And that just means that I have a, a growing team of women in this area and across the country that we're working on getting books into the hands of more kids everywhere.
0: Excellent. And what are some ways that Osborne is unique? You said that your family was already into reading, but responded in a stronger way to the books that are available through Osborne. What? is the distinction?
1: I think they are just really, they're made to be engaging in a way that's like, it competes with electronics and really, really does. They're just very bright, beautifully illustrated, and all these different ways kids can interact with books. We have books with flaps that they can lift. We have books with pieces that slide back and forth for hands that are, a little too young to be handling the flaps without tearing them. You know, we have shine a light books where you hold a flashlight behind the page and a hidden image pops out. You know, we have all these different types of books to help get children who are maybe more reluctant readers or who have different reading difficulties into books. We have graphic novels that are, while they're engaging and they look as inviting as a typical graphic novel aren't quite of cluttered. They follow kind of a clearer format and they are so great for our children dealing with things like dyslexia or other reading disabilities. Mm-hmm. I have a nephew who like could not, could not get into chapter books and reading is important to lots of people in his life that so was important to him, but he was feeling really discouraged. And I gave him our graphic novel version of Robin Hood and he read it in like a day and a half. And it's pretty thick for a graphic novel, but he read it in a day and a half. And he was so encouraged by that, that he dove into a chapter book after that. And it took him a little longer, but he worked his way through that book too. And so I think um, just that effort to reach children who aren't into books and to Mm -hmm. make these books inviting, it really comes across.
0: Are some of the books published through Usborne not available other places or there's an overlap? Like there's some authors we may recognize and then some that are only with this publishing company?
1: There's there's some overlap. So Usborne Books and More is actually two publishing companies under the umbrella of Educational Development Court here in the United States. It's Usborne Publishing out of the U.K., and Kane Miller Publishing. And so we're kind of like the, the official U.S. distributors for both of those um, publishing houses. Our premier books for, for babies that just about everyone recognizes is our touchy-feely series called That's Not My, You Know, That's Not My Bunny, is a really, is a really widely known one, That's Not My Puppy. We have over like 50 titles in that series and they're, they're popular baby gifts everywhere. So that's one that people would recognize. But we have chapter books for in our young adult fiction that feature Bear Grylls, uh, the survival guy that he's been writing. We have some nonfiction and some fiction that he has authored. And so people might recognize that as well. Most of our stuff is in-house, like our usborn books, the nonfiction is made in a way that no other publishing company does theirs. And that is that it's entirely made in-house with like teams of researchers working on what's going to make this information the most easy to absorb for our readers and the most engaging. So they're kind of unique and you don't really, you don't really see our books a lot of other places, but there are a few of them that get sold through like Barnes and Noble and gift shops in different places. Like you can see our books at the gift shop at the Atlanta aquarium and things like that. But what's exciting about that is all our books are at the same price everywhere that you get them. Like the prices are on the back. So it's not like if you buy them through a consultant, you're going to pay like more money or anything like that. And in fact, we have an awesome program where if you get them through a consultant, if at any point during the life of the book, it's damaged, we'll replace them for half off.
0: That probably really comes in handy with small children.
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. So I love that every, no matter where you find our books, really, we're working on making our books accessible to kids everywhere and make reading as inviting as possible. That's really
0: exciting because I can see that there's a lot of competition with more visual media right now. I can see how childhood Mm -hmm. literacy might kind of be struggling right now, uh, especially Mm -hmm. when it comes to recreational reading. I would think that's not as popular as it used to be. So it's neat to know that there's a focus on finding a way to bridge that gap and effectively compete with other forms of entertainment in your experience whether it be through instructing at, at home since you're homeschooling or just research mm-hmm. through working with Usborne, why is recreational reading something that we need to make sure we don't completely abandon as a culture, do you think? Well, so there are
1: a couple, there are a couple different reasons for this. One is that it's Rec- recreational reading grows your brain, you know, like it as you, the more you read, the faster you read. And so that also means the more you read, the faster and the better you can process information. And so that's very important. But also it's a way to get information that isn't as taxing on the rest of our senses. You know, right now in a very digital age, we get exposed to so many images on a daily basis that you know, when you shut your eyes, it's not dark. <laughs> like right. you, you can see you can still see your optic nerves kind of like just discharging light that they've been bombarded by. So it's good to have ways to access information that aren't like attacking your senses. I think I, I think that's so important, especially, you know, reading, it gives you an opportunity to empathize with characters in a way that watching them on a screen doesn't, you know, because we literally are like hypnotized by the strobing blue light of a TV. And, and so we are there and we're watching, but we're not really engaging fully with our brains the way that we do when we read a story and we have to create the scene in our minds. We have to imagine what would this be like if I was there? And you empathize more with the characters, you create more, it wakes up your brain instead of lulling it to sleep. So, I mean, the research shows that kids who grow up surrounded by books hit higher academic milestones. They have more academic success, which sets them up for more success in life. I think, I forget if it was 2009 or 2011, there was a study out of the University of Nevada that looked at different countries and factored out all the different, you know, economic factors and social factors. But basically like the message was clear across the board, kids who have access to books do better than kids who don't.
0: Hmm. And that really makes sense. I know that before I came to school nutrition, I was working at WIC. And since WIC has contact with over 50% of all of the children Born in this country, whenever there's an initiative that you want to get out in front of the majority of families, that's a good place to start. So, we had a couple of different projects focused on childhood literacy because if you're not reading by about third grade, you're kind of already up the creek as far as what you're going to be able to Mm -hmm. achieve in an academic setting, because all you're learning is going to be based on your ability to read for comprehension from there forward. And you're not going to get there unless you're some sort of genius who doesn't need uh, the help of other adults, which isn't how humans develop and grow. If you're a normal kid, you need to be getting exposed to a lot of different words trying to read before Mm -hmm. you ever get to kindergarten. Absolutely way before that happens. So that was something we were trying to emphasize to young parents, especially, even though it happens to everybody that sometimes you prioritize other things um, that seem more urgent, not realizing just because school is years away. doesn't mean learning to read shouldn't be way high up on your list of priorities because it's kind of going to lay the foundation for your child's success Moving forward. So, we don't want any mm-hmm. more obstacles in front of our kids than necessary, right. but I don't think everybody realizes how crucial it is to start as early as possible.
1: Yeah, and in kindergarten, 95% of children polled say that they enjoy reading and they enjoy story time by third grade, I think, but cut in half. of kids say they enjoy reading. By fourth grade, only 65% of kids are reading on level for their grade. Like the 35% of kids are already way behind by fourth grade. And so that's, that's really startling to me that in just a couple of years, those numbers can change so drastically. What do you think that's related to? So there is there are several books on on the importance of reading aloud for children. One of them is the Read Aloud Handbook and the Read Aloud Family. He talks about the importance of continuing to read aloud to your kids even after they're able to read on their own, partly because it it becomes like it goes from a a warm and snuggly cuddly activity to a duty. And in those years of like four and seven years old, a lot of children, that's a time when a lot of things that might not have been noticeable before, as far as like reading difficulties like dyslexia might be beginning to emerge and they might not be picked up on until later on. Uh, We have several books. We have a whole series of books. Billy B. Brown is one series and Hey Jack is another by an author named Sally Rippon. And she has a child with dyslexia, so she wrote those books specifically to be good early readers for children with reading difficulties. None of the words ever break across a page, and words that are new or that might be tricky for children with dyslexia are in bold. And the print's really big, and there are still some illustrations, you know, things like that, that kind of help make those books more accessible to children who maybe have difficulty in that area. If you're reading together, you know, you might notice more things that pop up, like my son deals with some mild dyslexia. And I've noticed, you know, sometimes when he's sounding a word out, he'll start at the end of the word, you know, <laughs> so that was kind of one of those signs of like, Oh, that might be some of what we're dealing with here. And so if you if you say, Okay, well, you know how to read. So now you're just reading by yourself, then there's no opportunity to notice that. You know, and so a good habit, a good literacy tip is, you know, have your child reading stuff that's on level and even still some things that are below level for their independent reading. But always read some things that are on level and some things that are like one level up um, or even two levels up as a family, you know, so you're reading to them, they're getting exposed to new words, new ideas, things like that. But you also have the opportunity to notice if they're having trouble. If you like take turns with with some portions of the book, you can notice if there's something they're having a problem with. Okay, that really makes
0: sense. Like these are things we didn't know in the 80s. that <laughs> would have been helpful for yes. a lot of kids that yes. it's nice that it's available now. Like you mentioned, it's a good idea to continue reading out loud with your kids and taking turns. Mm-hmm. What type of... Materials? Do you think would really work for that for an older child? Maybe once your child is giving you some resistance about sitting down and um, wanting to do something collaborative.
1: Yeah, you can like read together and do a project together if they're if they're kind of in that middle to tween years. For for older, older, like teenagers, I probably stick with the young adult fiction. We also have activities that can be done together, like suitable for adult coloring books that are still on level for younger children as well. And so sometimes when you have a more kinesthetic learner, like they need to have something to do during the reading time as well. And so coloring or even like blocks, Legos, things like that to keep them engaged while you're reading can be very helpful.
0: Okay. I like that. So in that same vein with projects and, um, getting everybody involved, what sorts of projects are you currently working on or partnerships that you form with schools or other organizations that kind of bring the reading to life and bring it, you know, to the community?
1: So with, with my own kids right now, we have this great, Type of books, a series of lift the flaps like bird houses and bug bug hotel. And we're like, we're when we take nature walks, we're learning to identify different bugs and their habitats. As far as schools, my kind of passion project right now, that I'm looking for schools to work with on this, is container gardens and having students growing food. I know that one of the things I've been learning. Both as a health coach and in my interaction with my own kids is that if they're involved in growing it, they're a lot more likely to eat it. <laughs> right. so a good a good way to get kids eating vegetables is to have them growing it. Well, we came out I think it's almost two years ago now with this awesome book called "The Usborne Book of Growing Food," and it has several different plants you can grow in container gardens, like some are fruits, some are vegetables, some are herbs, but my real passion. And what, what is really exciting about this for me is it's where kind of both my worlds get to merge both in dealing with nutrition and wellness and in dealing with books and literacy, you know, is to partner with a school to get these container gardens into classrooms and using a book drive, a program we call literacy for a lifetime, being able to supply classrooms with a copy of the Usborne book of growing food and another book we have the the inside where food comes from, which is a lift, the flat book, it's a lot of fun and materials, potting, soil, containers, you know, different gardening tools, whatever they need to be able to do these container gardens in their classroom over the course of the school year and, you know, watch it grow. And it's, it's amazing. First of all, to work together and watch anything grow and watch anything kind of come together, come to life like that, I think it's, it's a phenomenal opportunity to build community. But it also gets the children invested in what they're eating, invested in what they're putting in their bodies, and an opportunity to see them in real life apply something they learned from a book and watch it literally bear fruit. Like I just think where all those things come together is just, mind blowing you know like yeah. the opportunity there
0: there are a lot of people that might be intimidated by attempting to grow something what sort of hardy plants would you suggest how do you make sure that you don't get all excited about the project and then you're waiting and waiting and nothing grows
1: well i think i think it's inevitable to kind of acknowledge up front there's probably going to be some failure mm. <laughs> and that that's important that we grow together through that too but most of the most of the plants in the book are are pretty simple they're some easy herbs like as long as you have some sunlight <laughs> and <Right>. some water they <laughs> should be fine I know there's a variety of I'm pretty sure there are strawberries and tomatoes both in there which both can be kind of fragile in some senses, but also, you know, are, are kind of your basic, easy, easy right. container garden plants that, that. So they basically, they've
0: are, they've already thought that through for us. I've, I've never tried tomatoes, oh, yeah. but I've <laughs> done tomatoes. The biggest challenge I had with them was not growing them. It was stopping everything else from eating them. The growing part was easy, yes. Oh my but. <laughs> I've never heard of tomato worms and I learned all about them and how fast they move and how impossible they are to see until they've eaten like all of your tomatoes. But yeah, yeah, I can see that being a lot of fun for the kids to see in action and maybe understanding some of the challenges of why most people don't grow organic because it's mm-hmm. a real, it's a full-time project keeping everything else from eating your food. So um, that's another lesson that planning your own produce drives home.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it's, I think that's part of why when a child is involved in growing their food, they're more likely to eat it is because there there is quite an investment of yourself into that project because it does not usually come that easily, you know, and there is a little bit of, oh, is this going to work? Is it not going to work? You know? And so I think if you, you know, like they say, easy come, easy go, or nothing worth having is easy. I think if you have to invest yourself in something, you're more likely to enjoy the reward that comes in the end.
0: That is very true. Like there's a lot of research now around resilience and how important of a quality that is. And as life has become so, so easy for some of us in some parts of the world, the lack of opportunities to build that skill of being able to bounce back after you fail or being able to muster yeah. the energy for a project that you're not sure what the outcome's going to be, but it's going to be a lot of work. Like, you know, that up front, it's kind of hard to get going when that isn't a muscle or like a skill that you've built. So, That's another neat payoff that it looks like this type of project would have. Now, most school systems and most departments inside school systems are all kind of strapped for cash. So how do you fund something like this?
1: So our Literacy for a Lifetime program is designed to be used a number of different ways. You can either use unspecified grant funds or, you know, there are grants for school nutrition that you can apply for as well or you can partner with different organizations in your area that are focused on these things maybe some of the farmers markets in your area might have a lead on that as well but so the idea is we can do a book drive for both the materials from Osborne and just a, like a donation drive in general for the for the planting materials as well And that can mean going to businesses in your community and asking them to donate to the project. And it can mean going to different organizations that are geared towards uh, food and real food and organic food, different programs that are looking to get food into schools. There's so much right now with like the farm to school movement going on. There There are a lot of different avenues to
0: look at. That is true. And I know one thing that I'm always a little nervous about whenever I'm looking at grant funding is, will I definitely be able to make good on all the promises I make when I'm applying for the funds? So let's say that you're awarded a grant to do this project. What are you able to do to help with the deliverables? Or, Or do you remain involved? Or how does that work?
1: Personally, my my desire is to remain involved. Ultimately, I'm leaving that up to schools that I work with, but I can come in to do, you know, we have a lot of other books about the food system as well. I can come in to do story time and check in with the students as well, like on a monthly or every other month basis, whatever, whatever people feel like is the best fit for those particular classrooms. But yeah, I would, I would love to stay involved. I want to I want to get pictures of the whole process and everything. So So you basically,
0: if if someone was applying for funding, thinking they would like to work with you on that project, you would figure out in advance what that would look like, what the schedule would be like, and what portion of the nutrition ed they would do and what they would bring you in for. So that sounds good. It's always good to have more more help to <laughs> so make sure that you do yeah. everything that you set out to do. So are there any other projects that you're currently working on that would probably interest people in school systems?
1: So we have some other great programs that are very helpful for schools, different fundraising programs. My favorite is a pledge-based reading drive. You might think of it as like a read-a-thon called Reach for the Stars. And this one, the premise is based on more good research, again, that when you reward children for reading with books, they're actually more likely to continue reading as opposed to like rewarding them with food, trips, candy. And when you reward them with books, it kind of builds that habit of daily reading even more. Mm -hmm. But so in Reach for the Stars, the children get a tracking sheet filled with stars. And for every 20 minutes they read or are read to every d- every day they get to fill out a star for each 20 minutes and they're collecting pledges per star or some people might choose to donate like a lump sum for the whole drive and a portion of the proceeds are going to go to whatever cause they're raising funds for so if it's a school it might be band uniforms it might be pet for the classroom it could be uh, for the sc- for a certain school project anything along those lines, if it's like we just did one with my homeschool group where we did a fundraiser for the church that sponsors the co-op. So they allow us to meet there and we just did one to raise some funds for a few things that the church needed. So a portion of the funds is goes as a fundraiser and then some will get books for the classroom or the organization. And most of it, like up to 75% of the don- donations still are going to get books for the children who are doing the reading or being read to. And they're able to do that because Usborne is going to match 50% of the funds raised in free books. So even though the money is going to raise funds, the kids are still being rewarded with more books than that. So they, they still get most of their pledges back in books. So that's, it's really exciting. And the one I did for my homeschool group, it was really awesome to see when I was, delivering the books to the kids, how excited they were to dig into them, you know, but also to see that we were able to get a lot of the, our slide and see books for the church nursery. There are these really durable, sturdy books that are still very interactive, but they, they can stand up to baby play (laughs) and baby, baby slobber. So we, you know, we got books for the church nursery and we still raised like $220 for the church. So it was it was very exciting on all ends. They were excited to see how much we raised. They were so excited to get their books and to keep reading them, you know. So that yeah. was that was awesome. I love the idea of a
0: fundraiser that doesn't have any potential negative health impact. I was obsessed right? with Book It <laughs> as a child, but I didn't <laughs> need all those pizzas. So and right. I'm exactly. Fundraising ideas, but it seems like the easiest way to get people to part with their money is to give them sugar, but I don't want to <laughs> participate in that, or I at least don't want to be seen. I'm like, Oh, the program, we just need money. We need money. We have all these great ideas right? and our local association, uh, we're always struggling with Things that are going to be positive, Mm -hmm. no matter which way you look at it, it, there's always a drawback. So this is a a great idea to add to our our list of possibilities.
1: Yeah. And as an allergy mom, I'm always excited about a prize that doesn't exclude my kids, like honestly, you know, so especially with the rising incidence of food allergy, it's great to have fundraiser options that have nothing to do with food. Like they have to yeah. do with books. That's a really and good point. Nobody's allergic to the books. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good point. Now with your health coaching, are you including allergy management a lot or you're doing more general wellness?
1: I, I deal a lot with allergy management, and some some with people who are adjusting their diet to deal with like autoimmune and things like that. Now, as a coach, I don't prescribe any dietary changes. What I do is break down help you break down your goals so that they're not as overwhelming. So seven years ago, my son was diagnosed with twenty two food allergies, and so we didn't really have a choice, and we dove in head first to all these diet changes. And, you know, about two weeks into that, I was coming up pretty burnt out (laughs) and like, gee, it would, it would have been nice to have someone help me do this in a way that was sustainable. And that's kind of what, what lit my fire for it, because in that process, as we were kind of figuring out, okay, what really is the best way to do this and keep everybody healthy and alive and right. you know as we were going through that process I kept running into other people dealing with similar things and we hit a point where my husband was like, all right, you're learning a lot and you know a lot and you're helping a lot of people, but you can't give away any more of your time for free. So, right, but, right. You know, yeah, your, and it's your family good. needs this time. So,
0: <laughs> it's That's a good way to explain why someone can't keep on doing everything for free. Yeah, you want to help people. True. That's important. Yeah. And when you run a small business, you can Thanks to technology, give answers one to many for free, but you can't really Mm -hmm. afford to do one to one because, yeah, you have other things you have to do with your life. And I like the idea of making some resources free, but then you have to be paid for your time. And the better you're yeah. compensated, the more people you would eventually be able to help for free. And there definitely exactly. is a need for someone to fill the gap between, okay, the doctor gave you the diagnosis and maybe um, the dietitian gave you some coaching, but now you're out and you have to actually do it. Once you get beyond two allergies, things start to get bananas as far as yeah. what you can yeah. actually Serve your child. And if you have a ton of allergies, then you start to worry what sort of deficiencies will your child have when you keep leaving certain things out. So you have to get more and more pragmatic about covering all the bases. So, what do you do? Do you have some foods that you allow your kids who don't have the allergies to have in a different area, or have you found ways to cook? low risk foods for the whole house or what are you doing
1: It's a little bit of both so we have some strict hand washing policies for for when we're eating and like don't you know, touch each other when we're eating if they're eating my son has the most allergies and my daughter my middle child daughter has a couple <laughs> my my older daughter has a couple and then my husband and I both have a couple as well so there are some foods that are safe for the whole family like as my my daughter some of her allergies are because of a tick bite she is allergic to red meat oh, and so like meat so we keep the same fair. yeah it is, it is, it's getting more common in Georgia, unfortunately, with the rise in incidence of the Lone Star tick. But, but it was like, right after we basically figured out that, okay, meat and most vegetables are safe. So, this is, you know, yeah. this is the way we eat. And so we've, we've made adjustments there too. So pretty much the whole family eats the same meat, unless we're, out and about and then like maybe different types of safe jerky or things like that my son might have some beef or my husband might but for the most part you know we're all the same meat wise and then there are certain foods that we allow in the house even though but none of us can do gluten and some of us react to most grains and my son was diagnosed allergic to all the grains they tested him for including rice and oats even so and he's um, also so we're totally on the spectrum He's also on the spectrum yeah which actually is kind of another It's Another area I'm passionate about with coaching is how gut health can help improve sensory issues. But that's like, that's a whole nother podcast. Yeah.
0: I've been wanting to hear from parents, especially parents who maybe had to try and navigate that before you homeschool. Did you try and navigate that with the public school system or um, that diagnosis came in after you'd already started homeschooling?
1: He was diagnosed when he was four, and so um, the, we we set out homeschooling. And then at one point, we looked into getting him into a special needs school, but in order to do the SB10 voucher, he needs a year of public schooling with an IEP. But at that point, we already knew he had 22 allergies. So our experience with the public school system is limited to cyber schooling. Um, gotcha. Okay. And we did we did have trouble getting him an IEP. In fact, he doesn't have one because Joshua is high functioning and he's he's pretty academically gifted. But and so there are they didn't see a need because the areas that he struggles are so different, you know. And so. Okay. So that was that was a little frustrating for me, but we just circled back around to homeschooling and found a method that works really well for us. We're doing classical conversations and we really enjoy it. So, you know, it uses like music and memory work to keep the kids engaged and we're a very musical family. So that worked out pretty well for us.
0: That's really interesting. That's great. I mean, and I think with a lot of things, you have to find your own way and that's why it's so... Mm-hmm. It's such an asset to be a literate adult because can you imagine dealing with a situation right. as involved and as complicated as this and not being a strong reader and educated person? I can't even imagine how people yeah. get through some situations when it requires such a high level of comprehension. It must be super frustrating.
1: So yeah. I love yeah. the work and that even- you're doing. Thank you so much. I was going to say, even with that, you know, like there's, but I don't know if you've seen, there's a meme that floats around Facebook from time to time. A worried mother does better research than the FBI, you know? (laughs) And it's, it's true. I spent, I spent months listening to every, every webinar and reading every article and looking at different medical studies, just trying to figure out, you know, what I could feed my child. Right. (laughs) It's
0: true. And then you become an expert in your own medical conditions and your Mm family because no one has more of a vested interest than you. You realize that you have to be actively involved in your own medical care.
1: And mm-hmm. people do no the one's going to advocate for you.
0: There you go. Not like you will. And th- you can understand how things can be missed. There's so many conditions that look mm-hmm. like other things and they don't have time to just study you like <laughs> for weeks at a time. So that really right. is your <laughs> job is to be in charge of your own care and be in charge of your family's care. And it's a blessing to be capable of doing that. But yeah. Being able to read uh, research and have the math skills to at least kind of understand the graph when you look at it, when you're trying to look at studies and whatnot, has been yeah. extremely helpful. And I don't know how people manage without it, and especially now that you can get access to your medical records remotely. It's so much easier when before you needed to save your labs or request them and actually remember where you put them to be able to compare your progress. I really love the concept of bringing ag into the classroom because Mm -hmm. it can reinforce so many science lessons, math lessons, and really help people with dietary habits that promote brain development. So Mm -hmm. it just really, like you said, it's so cool the way it all comes together. We absolutely need to keep focusing on that. And we're lucky in Georgia, we're all over that. I'm sure other people are doing okay too, but we're really killing it here, (laughs) I think. So this is an exciting time to be in this area. Thank you so much for coming on. Where can people find you online if they'd like to connect with you?
1: They can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash usborn with mj
0: and i will put that in the show notes as well and are you on any other um social media platforms or facebook is mostly where you are
1: facebook's mostly where i am i'm starting to branch out there a little bit but there's so much changing so fast that i'm that i'm doing it pretty slowly (laughs) okay (laughs) okay (laughs) trying to make sure i know I know what I'm getting into before I get into it, you know? Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Well, Facebook still works. Everybody's still on Facebook. And I've even heard there's a surge of Gen Z people getting on Facebook, I guess, trying to see what all of us older people are up to. (laughs) (laughs) So Facebook is definitely still relevant. So thank you so much for coming on.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Melody mentioned several good resources that I'll be including in the show notes. Remember, if you wanna make sure you never miss an episode, you can visit schoolnutritionrd.com to join the mailing list. As always, the only fee for the show is that you share it with others whenever you hear something useful. Hopefully that's every episode. All right, everybody, I'll see you next week.